I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today's guest can be described as a supermodel, a super role model. Brana Dane is a sustainability advocate, an influencer, a TV host, an artist, an activist, and a model who has both appeared and been published in some of the top magazines representing some of the top beauty brands around the world. As one of the leaders of the game-changing model mafia movement based out of New York City, Brana co-produced and supported sustainability-focused events for models to raise the awareness of what it's like to be a model with impact. Brana herself is a host for the Global FNL Network on Amazon Prime. She writes interviews for Bella magazine on the change makers of our time. And her art is interestingly reflecting her struggles and her stories as a model. She recently held galleries in Chelsea, Tribeca, the Hamptons, and Brooklyn in New York. You're here. Thank you so much. We took us, what, a month and a half to organize this? Uh, You were busy, I was traveling, and there we are. Yeah, I'm glad to finally be sitting down with you. Yeah, there you go. So we, We haven't actually met in person before. We have a common friend between us. The, the person that I am, I asked you if there were a few links uh, to get to know you a little bit before we chat. And the person that you are sent me enough links to get to know you really well. And I am quite uh, amazed. But uh, So, so I, I would normally want you to introduce yourself to everyone, but I actually thought today I'll just jump in the deep end. Okay, Of everything I read about you and heard you say, uh, this quote uh, completely blew me away. You said, I am a valuable part of the world. And if I make myself weaker, hmm, uh, then I'm disrespecting everyone. That was your quote on self-love. Yes, exactly. Now that really hit my heart, Rana. So tell me, I mean... It was actually, you know, I said that during an interview for um, Real Woman, Real Stories, I believe. Yes, correct. And as I was saying, you know, it's something that I believe, but it's something that um, took me a long time to learn conceptually from a logical standpoint and then separate from that to actually feel. So even when I say it, I don't know if you could tell, but I certainly remember that it came out a little bit like a question. Like, <laughs> is this true? You guys agreed? That. You guys agree with this? Does that sound okay? <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it's always an ongoing process, uh, but that's something that I think I did that a couple of years ago that is always um, a good thing to remember. And if you haven't really thought about it, it's great to, uh, it's a great new thought. Did you ever struggle with self-love? Yeah, I have struggled with self-love throughout my life. Um, You know, these things sometimes can't pinpoint the exact reason, but 
definitely I, I faced some challenges in my life like everyone does. And um, as a result of that, uh, I struggled with an eating disorder. And that's why I was on the um, program for Real Women. And so I was talking about that journey coming out of that and just uh, the things that I learned from it. But, but so, so help us understand this. So w- the way we see you models when you're out there on the beautiful, glamorous screens and the billboards and all of that is, I mean, like we're supposed to all love you and aspire to be like you. And, you know, we, we, we sometimes, sorry to say, envy you for having that physical beauty and and so we, in my mind or in anyone, any, anyone's mind, you would go like, I'm, I'm sure she's quite happy with herself. Uh, but, but then, but then to tell me that also a model would, would struggle with self-love is an interesting uh, uh, topic because then suddenly somehow every other woman on the planet starts to say, okay, that's, you know, physical beauty maybe is not the answer to self-love, is it? Yeah, that's a great point. Definitely models... Uh, my friend Cameron, who's a supermodel and, you know, very accomplished, made this observation. And I, it struck me as very true that models are some of the most insecure people you will ever meet. Wow. Because they are constantly judged just based on their looks. Mm. Uh, and then it becomes an issue of uh, knowing how fragile your looks are and knowing the trends that they change. So you can be the hot face of the moment, but it's not even a matter of beauty at the end of the day. It's a matter of trends. Mm. So what, when you, what do you mean? So it's the match between your beauty and what is expected by the industry at the time? Exactly. So it's constantly changing. And so when you abstract yourself from that degree to your own image, uh, it can be tough if you don't have a strong uh, core and, and uh, identity outside of it to really uh, be secure and um, have self-love. So, so, so w- one of the things I know from my friends in the industry is it's actually a lot tougher uh, than we think it is. That, you know, that, that a model is actually made to feel not beautiful more often than not by the people that she works with, even though the aim of everyone at the end is to make you look amazing in a magazine or on the screen, uh, that, that the process of getting you there could be very harsh and sometimes humiliating and sometimes alienating. Is that, is that something you've ever experienced? Of course. I mean, you know, it was hard at first, but it's one of the things that I've actually ended up appreciating because I've gotten very um, thick skin as a result of being told just uh, quite ridiculous things about my appearance or about how my personality matches or doesn't match my appearance. They go to even that degree to criticize, you know, just your way of being in general, the way you move, the way you walk. I mean, obviously wow. the one way, but it's, it's a very nitpicky um, thing. And, uh, you know, you can't always tell the intentions of the person. I think there have been times when the intentions were just business and just generally good, but it was still hurtful. And then there have been a lot of times where the person was insensitive or the other times when the person was being intentionally uh, brutal for whatever reason. Would you, would you be open to share some examples? I mean, sure. I mean, yeah, I was recently told like before COVID at some point I was working showroom for a large brand and I was told, you know, my bosom like is not good or something or, but in wow. like the worst terms, not like mm-hmm. in a, 
term of like, oh, you know, you could get a push-up bra or like our brand is more for a curvier woman, et cetera, et cetera. It was just the worst terms possible. Wow. Um, and that's one of the lighter comments uh, that I've heard. I mean, I haven't gotten a lot because I, um, I'm more uh, picky about type of people I work with um, recently, but uh, I've heard a lot of brutal comments. It's hard to remember exactly. I remember one time I went in to see an agency. I was referred to them through a mutual contact photographer. And uh, one of the agents, you know, and they never say it to, to your face directly, or sometimes they do, but usually they're talking about you within earshot and you're just supposed to kind of absorb the message. <laughs> That's horrible. As if you're invisible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he said to me or said about me to the other agent, um, her personality doesn't match her, her, uh, the way she looks. What does that mean? So I had to infer, am I not bitchy enough? I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you, do you want me to like shout at you? Is that what, is that what you're asking for? <laughs> that, yeah, that, is, I, that is horrible. Like it's, it's not what it appears from the outside at all. Yeah, it's not. And, um, you know, plus size models have a whole different thing going. They're told that they have to maintain their measurements. They are, they have, um, literally foam attached to them to make them bigger. Wow. So it's really like there's the extremes in fashion are very harmful. I believe not just for the models, but for everyone, because why are we putting images out there where, you know, a woman's not either curvy enough or she's not uh, thin enough. I mean, it's it. So, so you see, I I struggle with that. I'm 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 one of the people that highly criticize the fashion industry. As a matter of fact, in everything that I wear, right? So I I wear nineteen dollar t shirts and a pair of jeans almost all the time because, in a way, I never understood. I never really understood. You know, one year you tell me, look, you know, uh, we're going to make it tight around your butt. That's the fashion. And then next year, no, no, it should be loose around your butt because last year we were wrong. And then we're going to show a bit of your butt or we're going to hide all of your butt. And I'm like, what kind of sheep am I to, to follow all of this? It's like, who makes the rules and why should I follow them at all? Right. And, and in my mind, of course, because I'm a businessman, hmm, this is clearly just we need to sell new stuff. If we didn't tell you that the fashion has changed, you wouldn't buy new stuff this year because last year's stuff was good enough, right? And, and, and so from that point onwards, I feel that the industry is lying to me. It's lying to me about the look of the models. And then it's lying to me about, you know, those glamour shots where they actually shooting the photographer shooting the model, you know, and it appears that everyone is having so much fun. And this is the most beautiful moment in the entire universe at that moment in time. But all of that is just not real, is it? Well, I mean, generally speaking, it's not real because the photo is going to be highly edited with the computer and the technology nowadays is such that that the image you end up with is quite different than whatever they took. I understand what you're saying about the uh, photographer. And sometimes it can be like that. It can be very fun. There are reasons why, you know, people are in, in the industry and why they enjoy working. It's very creative. I mean, I get your point about fashion and how you're kind of trying to create 
the desire for treating something that's meant to be like a long lasting item as something that's disposable. That's kind of the trick of marketing, but there's a lot of creativity in fashion. There's a lot of creativity with the designers, the photographers, the models, everyone. So that's the part that I really enjoy about it. So, so you, you go into this industry, you went very young, right? So you started not as young as the average, actually. You, you started later than the average. When did you start? Um, I started in my 20s, so like 1920. You, you then, as I read about you, ended up being a uh, mafia leader. Uh, what, what is it? <laughs> so you little criminal. Yes, I'm a mafia leader. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> yes. What is it called? Um, it's called. Uh, um, yeah. So I'm one of the first members of the model mafia, and I'm model one of mafia. the Yeah. Yes. I'm one of the two organizers, so I've um, led several different uh, activations, and so uh, that's also a lot of the meaning that I get out of modeling is that I'm able to do uh, lots of different activities with uh, a community of people in the industry that are promoting positive change. So that's a great thing that I've been able to do as well. But, but explain this to me, uh, Brian, because, because I, uh, so, so you're basically, you don't kill people for money. That's not that kind of mafia, but you're, you're sort of constantly saying, uh, to your clients, to the ones that hire you, I actually disapprove of what you're doing. That, that's a very unusual position to be in. What, what, how, how does that work? How does that dynamic work? Well, I mean, I don't tell them directly, but obviously if you look me up, they can infer. Uh, it's, you know, some people are very positive about it and see that there needs to be changes. Uh, they I can sometimes tell that they feel a little bit guilty. Other times they simply just don't really care. Maybe they're just doing their job and they're not even, you know, it's not personal for them. So why would they care? And then third option, maybe I haven't been hired uh, for different jobs because of that. I don't know. It's hard to quantify something that hasn't happened, like has a negative. But but you still do it. And what you're asking for is you're saying you want you want sustainable fashion is is what you're it's is what you're after. So you want something that's good for the people that make the fashion, good for the people that buy the fashion and good for the, for the planet. Is, is that what it's about? Exactly. I don't think people realize uh, how their garments are being made, that they're buying in the store. Uh, it's actually typically made by women. About 80% are women uh, making these garments. They are not paid a living wage generally. Sometimes they're separated from their children uh, in the areas that they have to work. And they're just generally placed in very vulnerable positions because of um, the wages that they're paid. And they can be abused. I mean, everyone knows about the Rana Plaza collapse and what happened there. Not everyone, not everyone of my listeners knows. So, so tell us a bit more. Okay, I'm not an expert historian or anything, but I will tell you generally that. Um, so, uh, there's this uh, garment factory, and uh, the garment workers informed the management, like a month before or something, that the building collapsed, that there was structural damage and cracks in this building, yet they were coerced into staying and working and eventually the building collapsed and killed, I think like over 1100 people. That is horrible. And yeah. that is horrible. So how can we change that? I mean, so, so the, 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 the working con- conditions, uh, even in 
in you know in the most luxurious brands you know the the ones that will sell for thousands or tens of thousands of dollars still the workers are paid almost nothing they're working on you know in in very tough conditions and it is an economic game in an, in a way i mean it's a you know why why would you uh, how would you change it if someone is able to provide something at that price and the brand is able to sort of close an eye you know it's like yeah it's, i'm i'm just asking for specifications and if i get it i get it right yeah well i mean the government can always step in but the power that we have is a as a consumer we can ask questions um i as an activist am raising awareness about this and ultimately it's up to consumers to really ask brands questions such as you know where is this being made are the workers being compensated a living wage and then from an environmental standpoint you can ask or you can just tell by reading the label what material is this is this a natural fiber that's going to um, be able to decompose uh, how much waste was created uh, in the process you can ask the brand because there's lots of different ways to make garments some are more wasteful than others and then uh, lastly oh I lost I lost it there but there's another way <laughs> yeah but so, so I so I actually so I actually also believe that there is a lot of waste in that process you know not only in the processes actually there's a lot of waste I don't know if that's true, so please confirm that to me. I understand that some of the luxury brands will actually burn their unsold stock at the end of every year. Yeah, so Chanel does that. They burn their unsold stock. Uh, stock. Um, Burberry changed that uh, a couple of years ago, but many brands do it. And it's something that is very wasteful, polluting, just generally used so that the brand maintains its uh, appearance of yeah, exclusively. Luxury, yeah. So that the old products aren't um, in circulation as much. So then there's more mystique and demand supposedly around the brand. Um, but I think that's not a very good model. So you, when you started 19, age 19, 20, I, I think that's actually quite fair. You know, maybe I would even prefer later, but I think, at, you know, this is maybe the time where the image of the brand would want to be, and that's fine. But I don't. I understand that most models will actually start in their teens, and and yeah. What what would be the normal start age, starting age for a a, a, a woman model, a female model? I was scouted um, in Canada by the top age in, in Toronto when I was um, like just turned fifteen, so I was pretty much fourteen, fifteen. Mm. Uh, so that's quite young. I didn't do it then, but uh, that's. That was a good age for me to start. Uh, a friend of mine started modeling at 14, uh, traveled internationally to different countries alone. Wow. And it's not a very safe industry, is it? I mean, you're, you're, the center of the conversation is around your looks and your body and your shape. And, you know, it's at 15. I, I, I heard stories that are horrific, really. Uh, you know, and, and, and to me, it's, it's hypocrisy. I don't, I don't know if, I'm, if I may say that. But... Again, you know, talking about sustainable fashion, I, I find it. I find that, you know, in in general, uh, when we rose in the West and said child labor in China when they make our products, you know, that's unacceptable and that's slavery and and and. And I wonder how we missed the point that when a model models at fifteen, that's child labor. Really, it's just a a different kind of labor. And 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 I wonder how the industry 
you know, accepts that. And, and I know that you've been calling for the idea of can we have a set age? Like you can't drive before you have a license. You can't model before you're 18. Yeah. So Caring committed to doing this, which is a large uh, fashion company that owns several different fashion uh, brands. I think, I believe uh, Gucci and uh, several others. So, I mean, it's a huge step. And uh, I think that all the brands and agencies should follow in suit. It really would shift things so that uh, models in general are less vulnerable because, I mean, if you think back to when you're in high school, (laughs) there's a huge difference between being 14 to 15 to 16 to 17 to 18. Huge difference every one of those years. You don't feel like you're in your own authority often when you're that young and you don't feel that you have the power to say no to things that are inappropriate so you can get taken advantage of very easily. In modeling, you're often put into positions where you're uh, alone with men, you're expected to dress in front of men, you're expected to, or with them in the room at least, and like just behind like a, a, um, a rack of clothing. It's very common. So I just don't feel that that's appropriate for someone who's under 18. I mean, I do believe that adults, you know, can do what they want within reason. Um, and if there's nothing inappropriate going on, often it's fine. It's not any, there's nothing sexual a lot of the time, but I just don't feel it's appropriate at all for someone who's underage. So let, so let me talk about you for a while. So I, I find a very wide spectrum woman. When, when I when I research you, you're an artist. You were a, a TV presenter at a point in time. You're a, a model. You're an activist. Uh, you uh, gave uh, a speech at Union Square. That must have been nerve-wracking. Uh, on Earth Day in April 2019, uh, you're w- working for an industry but trying to change it at the same time. You're trying to... To, uh, to to represent yourself as the brand, but you're also you also have those other sides of your activism. And how does all of this fit together? Well, I mean, hopefully it does fit together. Maybe it's a bit clumsy, but um, <laughs> everything is kind of coming from me organically. Like I said, the part of modeling that I love is being creative. I also love being in front of the camera to some extent. And so that's where hosting came in and that I was doing hosting for um, behind the scenes at Fashion Week. So it was also fashion. Mm-hmm. And I was interviewing lots of different people on more of a superficial level, but it was fun. <laughs> yeah, so everything fits together in so much as that it's... It's uh, what I believe in. It's part of who I am. And the activism is very important to me because I just see so many different problems. And um, often in life, we can see problems, but we don't see how we as individuals can really make any effect or change. And so I have seen what I hope to, that is a bit of a, a snowball effect with all the things that I've done in the Model Mafia and with. Um, different organizations like the Model Alliance and Models Trust and all these different modeling communities, organizations uh, coming together and really pushing for more productions for models, more sustainable fashion, more fair practices in general. So that's, that's great. And um, 
art is always a reflection of what's going on. So what I do with my art is um, I have a art model and then I put different materials on her and I paint her sometimes in studio, sometimes in front of a, an audience, uh, sort of a performance art, which is also fun for me. And then the materials dry and crack or I paint um, just dry and then I take pictures and then I develop those into uh, prints. So that- I found that fascinating. So your canvas is another model. Why would you do that? Um, well, you know, I get treated like an object a lot and it's kind of interesting to be on the other end of that. Oh, wow. Okay. That is such an unexpected answer. So, so you're sort of being the fashion industry in that case, in a, in a nice way. In a nice way. You could say that. Yeah. What, why do we treat women like objects? That's a loaded question. I mean, I don't know exactly why, but I think the media has something to do with it. And that's why I think it's very important to change the age uh, up the limit uh, in fashion, put a limit uh, at 18 so that the images that we consume are all of actual adults that are selling adult clothing. It makes no logical sense to me to put an image of a 15, 16 year old and sell it uh, to sell to 40 year old women. I don't understand that. I, I don't know. I, I, th I think there is an issue in the way we define what is to be desired. I, I, I mean, at so many levels, Brana, I think, I, think I think we've missed the whole uh, essence of everything. I think, I think there is, you know, at, at one level, we objectify a woman as a model that is really all about her looks, which I know is not always you know, it's not, it's no longer the only thing in the fashion industry. Now they care a little more about personality, but first of all, we go about the looks. And that to me is actually quite a, a topic because what is beauty? I mean, it, it, with all due respect, if I, if I looked at you and I said, no, I prefer, I don't know, um, Middle Eastern looks, for example, I, I grew up in the Middle East. My definition of beauty came from the Middle East, right? Is, is that is that to be dictated to me at all? Should I, is there, a, is there a standard for what beautiful is? No, I mean, of course, it's very subjective. Um, and I think that, you know, that's not acknowledged enough because it is very subjective. I, for one, have, you know, less traditional tastes in what, who I find attractive. I'm not attracted to a lot of the people that my friends are. And I just go with that. But I think that, a lot of people feel this pressure to um, fit in and that even extends to their attraction, which I find strange. How, how can we change that? I mean, if we were talking to our listeners today and we want to say, look, you're beautiful. Whatever you are, you are beautiful. Okay. I, 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 I can't even see you, but I can guarantee whoever's listening is beautiful in a way. How can I communicate that message to the world? How can we, how can we change that perception of I need to, up to, to fit a specific measurements and specific specifications, almost like it's a factory outcome for me to be, con to be considered by public opinion as beautiful? That's a very difficult question, but I will tell you an observation I've made, which is that sometimes people have the opposite reaction where they really push back against 
someone they consider to be traditionally beautiful, they kind of are aggressive or throw it in your face somehow and are preemptively rejecting in some way that is exposing this problem in society, that it's making people feel less than either that they can't be that or that they feel that they can't possess that, um, which happens with men. Um, so it's really deeply embedded in, um, in especially American culture, because growing up in Canada, it, it was a little bit less like this, to be honest. I mean, if you go to Latin America, it's, it's quite, I mean, even though, of course, beauty is an important part of Latin America, but I think the definition of beauty is very different. You know, if you, if you go even to the Middle East, the definition of beauty, it depends again on the culture, right? But, you know, sometimes in the Middle East, the definition of beauty will be in the conservative dress, right? And how the conservative dress, you know, uh, uh, complements you in, in an interesting way. And, you know, you go to Asia and, you know, the beauty is in the face, you go to uh, America, it's more in the body, and it's, it's you know it's it's all very complicated when I think about it. I saw a documentary, I think it was on Netflix, and it's called Misrepresentation. I don't know if you've uh, missed. Yeah, like, I've, I've yes, seen yes. that. Yeah, and it just blew me away how we take that idea of self-esteem, which basically means you can only feel good about yourself if you're better than someone else, which is so contradictory to mathematics because by definition, I can't be better than everyone in everything because that doesn't make anyone average anymore. And then, and then how that self-esteem pandemic, if you want, uh, starts to go to women in the form of unless you're more attractive than the other woman, then your self-worth shouldn't be very high. Yeah, and um, I think maybe one way that is great. I know I have tried to do this in a number of areas, but whenever you feel that sort of repulsion or you, someone else is making you feel bad about yourself or uh, you have jealousy or something, I think it's great to kind of lean into that, figure out why it is. And um, instead of feeling that way, learn to admire the quality that you're jealous of. So Maybe admire someone else's beauty will help you and yourself feel more secure. Um, that's that's helped me because I, I hang around a lot of beautiful women all the time. From my <laughs> I, I'm, I am a, I am around beautiful women and beautiful men all the time. I mean, I honestly and truly, I mean, must be my glasses or something. I see everyone as beautiful. Like I truly and honestly do, and I I have a defect because I see the essence of a human along with their physical appearance. And I think for me, the essence is actually more, more, uh, more pervasive for me. And I think people who think of themselves as, you know, uh, the knees bees, if you want, normally come with a tiny bit of ego associated with them that sort of suppresses the physical beauty, while others who, you know, know that their beauty is, is not you know, about only about the physical appearance, you know, which I actually feel a lot when I'm talking to you, you know, you, you just get a, an energy, a sense of a, of a human that is not just skin, if you don't, if you know what I mean. I think that really, to me, everyone is beautiful. It's just quite shocking for actually. Thank you. That's a nice compliment. And I totally agree with you. I mean, that's why, you know, it's, um, it's really all about like who you connect with and, um, it's great to appreciate all beauty, uh, inner beauty, outer beauty, as subjective as it is, whatever you find attractive. 
And I think in appreciating that beauty, it's in a way reflected within us and we can better see our own beauty. I want to close with one of the biggest contradictions I never understood. One, one hidden interview somewhere, you were talking about being vegan, but also talking about buying secondhand. Now, I need to understand this one. You're in the fashion industry. You're supposed to be out there all about fashion, right? What's that secondhand thing? I mean, shouldn't you like flow and, and do, what do they call it? You know, uh, the, the, the Forever 21 type style where you buy something and slow, throw it away the next morning. And what is it that, what is that? Uh, uh, fast fashion? Fast fashion, yeah. Isn't that how it's supposed to be nowadays? Well, actually, there's a lot of pressure to be, you know, fashionable and current uh, in modeling to book jobs. And definitely I... I try and do my best to be current when I'm going to castings and things like that because it's a part of my job. But I find that it's possible to do that and buy secondhand a lot of the time. People are just constantly buying, 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 and then getting rid of their old stuff. So there is a huge secondhand market now on Poshmark, at vintage stores, you know, people just giving away their clothes in my neighborhood, anything like that. It's, uh, it's a huge opportunity to dress yourself, not harm the environment, not contribute to any abuse going on uh, in the garment industry, and to really give clothes a second life. I love that. So, so the idea of not contributing to the abuse, actually, that really touched my heart. So one, one way we can try to get into sustainable fashion is to actually not participate. I mean, in, a, in an interesting way, you're sort of telling me, come on, Mo, you don't really have to wear those ugly black t-shirts all the time. You can actually look really good, but you can buy that secondhand. I, I like that idea. Maybe I should. Would you guys like to see me in a jacket? I think uh, I've done that two, two times in the last five years or something like that. A nice little blazer and got lots of compliments. Definitely. And you know what? If you have the means, why don't you get your clothes custom made by like an artist, a craftsman? Here in the U.S., I, 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 again, I think I think I have a brain defect. I I don't understand why anyone should assess my value based on the way I'm dressed. Okay, I actually, in a, I, I don't. I say that with respect, by the way. I I, I don't judge anyone at all, ever, on anything. Huh? But I, I I am I'm I'm sort of like if the way you judge me is based on how I'm dressed. Should I even care about the way you judge me, right? Because because the way I dress is is literally like four layers uh, uh, separated from the essence of who I am, okay? And maybe in a way, I'm sort of training myself not to worry too much about the, the views of other, just others by, just by saying, look, this is comfortable, it's functional, it's, it's really not very harmful for the environment. I take very good care of it. I make it part of my life for as long as it's alive, right? And even, even when it's not, I try to, to, to use it for other things, believe it or not, you know, in my workshop or whatever. And I feel that there is an element of a connection there that is much deeper than, than something that is even, not even skin deep, but on top of the skin. I, I don't know. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, I mean, I think you have uh, some valid points, but uh, I was raised uh, from a young age. My mother would dress me up whatever was current in preschool and kindergarten, I would, anyway, but, um, and she always told me that the way you dress is a reflection of the respect you have for other people. So that's kind Interesting of- Interesting point of view. Say that again, explain. So the way you dress is a reflection of the respect you have for 
the people that you're meeting. So if you dress up, it's be, to show respect for what you're doing uh, with that person, uh, for the dress code, for the decorum of the event. Uh, so I think that in general is where the the need for fashion came from. It's a way of communicating non-verbally, just like art. I think that's quite eye-opening. I, I respect you all, everyone. Uh, you know, the way I dress uh, did not in, have any intentions <laughs> of disrespecting anyone. <laughs> but, uh, but it's such an interesting way of, uh, of looking at it. I mean, I had, you know, I worked at Google for a very long time. And at Google, we normally dressed down, right? And I, I had a very interesting way when I would go to meet a prime minister or a, a member of a, of a royal family or whatever, I would dress in a way that has a suit and a tie and a proper leather shoe and everything. And then the comment uh, they would say is like, you're, you're Google, you're not supposed to come dressed that way. Where is your t-shirt and jeans? And my answer, which, you know, the cunning businessman that I was, uh, would be, well, uh, I didn't feel comfortable. The more comfortable I feel in your, uh, in your presence, the more I will dress down. Okay. And so a few, you know, maybe two or three meetings later, when I go to meet them in, in jeans and, and t-shirt, they would literally celebrate. It's like, oh, so you like me now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it was a, bit, a way of training them to feel okay with my, uh, with my dress down fashion. You know how to do it. Yeah. It's, it, it, but it, it's actually an interesting statement because also maybe the way I the way I dress is also in a in a way a, a message to say I'm very comfortable in your presence anyway. You you know it doesn't I don't have to uh, change my appearance so that I feel comfortable with you. Honestly, I want to close with a very sensitive topic that you started with, but maybe you haven't closed on uh, properly. So you had a, a a serious eating disorder at a young age, which I don't I'm 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 not sure how, how did it start? Why did, why did you end up in that place? Uh, well, I mean, I had gone through some things, um, uh, an illness in my childhood that I'm not going to get into so deeply, but I just came to a place where I, I was very unhappy and I used, uh, restricting my eating as a distraction. So it was a little bit different than a lot of, um, other model stories, although I was exposed to all the, um, all the images in the media, and uh, that certainly played into keeping it going. And 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 how? What was the turning point? How did you get out of that place? Because I I ask this question because it's actually quite repetitive. I interviewed a, a dear friend, uh, Susie Fleury, who, uh, who who also had a, an eating disorder at a younger age, and um, and it seems to be quite common now, uh, or at least more common than it used to be in teen. Uh, years uh, to to have a, a restrictive eating disorder. Yeah, I I believe it is uh, quite common now. Um, there's a lot of pressure, uh, especially I feel now with social media. Whenever I see uh, like people in my vicinity, eight year old girls, ten year olds on Instagram, I'm just I want to tell their parents like, what are you doing? But <clears throat> the turning point for me was just developing, um, self-love, like we talked about. I mean, that's, that's about it. I had to make, um, a leap of faith in my life and I, I chose to make that, that leap. And then I, I kind of came out of it. And uh, I mean, were you helped at all? Did, did anyone? No, I was helped, you know, with, um, with, uh, supportive people in my life, 
but uh, no, I never got any uh, counseling specifically for that. Friends, loving parents, loving family, loving... I mean, what, what, what would we do? If, if I know someone today that, is, that feels insecure about herself or himself, is restricting or uh, you know, um, you know, hurting themselves in any possible way. I mean, you know, restricting food is one of one of many forms. What would your biggest advice be? Hmm. I mean, it's it's hard to be on the other end of that. I haven't been in that position to help someone like that. But um, I guess my advice would just to be a good friend to them, and uh, you know, not it's not even necessary to really focus on that aspect or try and fix them just try and consistently be there for them and be loving and i think that's the best advice yeah i i believe that i believe that very strongly actually i i always say love is the ultimate cure really if you if you can just show up you can just show up say i'm there you know if you need to talk to me and i think we should show up because uh, you know our world is lacking in quite a few things i think one of the most you know, one of the parts that we need to focus on most is how we treat each other, whether that's, you know, in terms of how we treat each other as the workers that make our garments or how we treat each other as the, uh, you know, my peer in school or the person that posted something on social media. I think uh, if we can start to treat each other the way we want to be treated. Yeah. And that brings me back to uh, what I was saying earlier about trying to appreciate the good things in other people and I think eventually that kind of gets internalized too and you start to appreciate what's good in yourself. Rana, I'm very, 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 very grateful for your time. Thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for Mo Gaudet, Slow Mo, Soul for Happy, or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy.